Thanks for joining us today. We are always encouraged to know that God is using this ministry to touch lives all across the world through what He's doing right here in Murfreesboro, Illinois. Please take a moment and share what God is doing in your life by sending an email to info at cccmurphy.com. We trust that you will be blessed by today's message. seed teams and it, it and that made no sense to me at all and I thought there's got to be a method to this go ahead and pull that bracket off if you would and so I, I want to kind of illustrate because what they're trying to do in the method to this madness is they're trying to keep what they view the very best teams in as long as they can so think about the bracket. I'm going to ask my helpers to come up and give me a hand right now. Think about this. I thought about the way this would look and the way that it, it plays out. So you've got, <laughs> you've, got a, a number, you've got a number one seed team up against a 16 seed team. And I mean, how fair is that? that and I, I thought about that, and I thought, man, that, I mean, that makes no sense at all. But then all of a sudden this week, it seemed like the impossible happened. <laughs> Thank you. Give them a hand, would you? And the, the number one seed team, the number one seed team got taken down. Everybody say taken down. They broke the bracket, man, and it messed a lot of people up. And that March Madness really made a lot of people mad this weekend because their, their pick for that, that team was completely gone when the University of Virginia lost to the 16-seed team. Do you realize that that's the first time they, they've played number one seed teams have played 16-seed teams 235 times. And yesterday, or this week, was 236. The only difference was it's the first time that the number one seed team ever lost. Out of playing 235 times, it's the first time in history that the number one, or that the number one seed team lost to the 16 seed team. I got to thinking about that and I thought about the, you know, it looked like that there's no way that that could happen. I mean, the appearance, when, as a matter of fact, when I looked at the bracket, I thought, I thought, man, that, you know, what's the deal with that? They're putting these, you know, why don't they put the number one seed team against the number two seed team? But they, the, it, it appeared like the bracket wasn't balanced, that, that it wasn't fair. But how many of you know that things aren't always the way they appear? I mean, sometimes you get surprised. And David understood something about this uh, method, this, that things aren't always like they appear. As a matter of fact, he's got King Saul hunting him down. 
And he decides he's got to flee and get out of Dodge. So he takes off and he goes to a land called Gath. Everybody say Gath. There's a king over there by the name of Achish. When, when David gets to Gath, the king's men grab him and they bring him before the king. And the king's looking at him, you know, and the king's trying to size him up. And, and these men aren't happy about the fact that David has shown up in Gath. And, they, and David overhears what they're saying. And, and the men are looking at the king and they're saying, look, man, this guy is the guy. I mean, this is going to be, this is the guy that's supposed to be the king of Israel. This is the fellow that they're singing songs about, man, that David's, or Saul's killed his thousands and David is ten thousands. What's he doing here? And David got a little nervous because it looked like that they were turning against him. So all of a sudden, David did something. He started scratching on the doors of the gate. I'm not going to do the next part that he did. But he started letting spit stream down his beard and, 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 and begin to, you know, just begin to slobber. How many of you have ever dated someone like that? Probably not, huh? I mean, you know, because you're, you're thinking, what, what's going on here? But the deal is, is that there is a, there's a method to David's madness. As a matter of fact, when the king looked at him, the king said, well, I don't, what, this guy's insane. What's, what are you doing bringing me a madman? I don't need any madman. Get him out of here. So they send David away. And that's exactly what he was hoping for because David feared for his life. And so there was a method to his madness. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever taken a look at some of the brackets of life that you've fallen into? Do you ever feel like you're in an uneven bracket? Do you ever feel like you're matched up against a situation or a circumstance that just isn't fair? Never feel like that sometimes, man, I, I, I don't get this. I don't understand why God would let something like this happen. But listen to what David says in Psalms 34 and 1. Now think about it. David could have just, he, he could have just begun to blame God for everything. But what David did was David knew he was supposed to be king. He ends up being hunted down like a dog by Saul. He has to flee and he goes to another land and they're talking about killing him there originally. That he, he fears for his life so he begins to act like this madman and then they send him away. And this is what David said about that. David wrote this psalm right after that happened. And listen to what he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. Everybody say at all times. You know, not, we don't have problems blessing God when everything's going right for us. We don't have any problem praising God when there's money in the bank and everything's running smooth. But what about when all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation that you don't understand and it's, you, you, feel, you, you feel that urge to accuse God or to blame God, but David had learned something about God. David had been in other mismatched brackets before. 
As a matter of fact, when Goliath showed up, a guy that was nine foot nine inches tall, and David went out on the battlefield to meet him, folks are looking at that and saying, man, what is wrong with the king of Israel? Is he out of his mind? He's sending some kid out here to try and do a man's job. But things aren't always like they appear. There's a method to the madness that sometimes you feel like you're going through. David said, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You don't have to raise your hand on this time, but when's the last time you complained about something? His praise shall continually, everybody say continually, I know I'm not being fair, so let's balance it out. Which one do you do the most of, praising or complaining? His praise shall continually be in. Uh, look, it's not hard to praise God when you find out that, you know, a rich, rich, rich relative passed away that you didn't even know. Everybody said, I didn't know him. I had some people raise their eyebrows. I can't believe you said that. I didn't know them. <laughs> but they left me all their money. <laughs> Lord, I just want to thank you for that relative right now. God, I just pray that they're with you and they're having a good time. You know what I'm talking about? We're, we're focused on other things. <laughs> we're focused on the blessing instead of God's promise. And we're looking at the stuff instead of the giver. We're always focused. We got our focus in the wrong place. And so we tend to talk about what we're focused on. Do you see that nut just cut me off in traffic? How many of you have gone down the road and started talking about somebody's driving and there was no one in the car with you to listen to you? And it's not his praise that's in your mouth. Where'd you get your license? In a Cracker Jack box? You know what I'm talking about? I've, I've, I've seen folks, I've seen people. I had a guy following me yesterday. I was in a turning lane getting ready to turn. He's behind me, laid on his horn behind me. And the whole time, he, there's another lane that he can get over. And he's in the, laid on the horn. I'm getting ready to turn in here. And then when he, when he finally got in the other lane, he realized I'm not moving because I've got to turn. Then he got in the other lane. And when he did, as he went by, he waved at me with one finger. But his praise shall continually be in my mouth. And, 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 and when he did that, the first thing I said was never mind. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The first thing, the first thing, I, the, the first thing that I, I, I saw when, I, when he did that, I felt something. And I had just been talking to a guy about keeping your composure. <laughs> And I thought, don't blow it now. <laughs> and so, and honestly, that really helped me keep my composure. So thank you. <laughs> it's, it's, about, it's about recognizing that some of these things just don't matter. 
that the devil's always trying to distract you, but you've got to bless the Lord at all times and let his praise be continually in your mouth. He said, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. In the Lord. Oh, you, you're not getting that. My soul, way down deep inside of me, will boast on God. I'm a pretty good basketball player myself. If I do say so myself. Well, you just did. See, a lot of times we'll boast on ourselves, or we'll boast on someone else. But he said, make your boast in God. Listen to what he says here. The humble, the humble shall hear of it and be glad. Why? Because David was a shepherd boy. David was a nobody. He was obscure. He made the statement. He said, I'm, I, look, man, I'm, I'm the, what, what, what are you choosing me for? His own father didn't think that he was important enough to bring when Samuel the prophet was at their house. He said, the humble shall hear of it and be glad. Why? Because they're going to see that God isn't choosing the mighty <laughs> Or he's not choosing those that seem big and strong and got it all together in this world, but he's looking for those that will make their boast in him. He said, the humble shall hear it and be glad. Now this is, I love this part. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Would you say that? Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Everybody say magnify. Now, I've talked about this before, so we're going to see how close you pay attention. Magnify. David says, magnify the Lord with me. Here's my question. How can you make God? Well, let me do it this way. I'll, it'd be better if I give you an illustration. Come, come up here a minute, Dean, would you please? So Dean's got on glasses. Everybody say glasses. Step up here. Everybody turn around so they see that I'm not. Okay. Dean's got on glasses. Now, how do you see me right now? You, 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 how do you see me? Take your glasses off. Now, now, how's it look? Careful, a little blurred. Okay, so the question is, what are his glasses doing to me? That is not true. <laughs> his glasses aren't doing anything to me. I'm the same as I was before he took them off. But what his glasses are doing is allowing him to see me as I really am. So when David says, come magna, how can you make God any bigger than he already is? You can't do it. But what you can do is start to see God the way he really is. And when you see him the way he really is, guess what? He already, he automatically gets bigger to you. God hasn't changed, but your perception of him has changed. Sometimes when you look at the bracket God has created and the matchups that he's chosen to, to put us in, it seems like madness to us. How many of you have ever been in a situation and thought, God, where are you at in all this? I mean, what, what's going on? But if you look through history and if you, if you search the scriptures and you see the matchups that are in God's brackets and you look at that, if you're just looking at it with a natural eye, it seems crazy. It seems like madness. Everybody say madness. 
But there's a method to God's madness. I mean, think about it. He takes a hundred-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman and hangs the hope of the world on them having a baby. If you look at that in the natural, it makes no sense at all. But there's a method to the madness. He takes one man and pits him against the strongest force in the world. He tells one man to go demand of the leader of Egypt to let my people go. And Moses is sitting there thinking, you got the wrong guy, God. I mean, you come on, you, you need to get somebody else to go. But there's a method to his madness. He takes Joshua and the army of Israel and he tells them, this is how I want you to take out Jericho, a wall that, or a city that's got walls that are 18 feet thick together and you can ride chariots around on top of them. And he tells them, this is how you're going to take out the wall. Just march around it for six days and don't say anything to anybody. And then on the seventh day, go around it seven times and don't say anything to anybody. Repeat that with me. Don't say anything to anybody. Why? Because when you're in the middle of your mess, when you're in the middle of your situation, when you're in the middle of your turmoil, if you start talking, it's probably not going to be the praise of God that's continually coming out of your mouth. But you're probably going to say something like this. This makes no sense to me at all. I can't believe we're doing this. Moses never did anything like this. Joshua has gone completely mad. But there is a method to the madness. And on the seventh day God said on the seventh time he said you shout and when they shouted God did the rest and the walls came down you can't go by just what you're able to see with your natural eye or you'll never see the method to it Shamgar's made a judge of Israel 600 Philistines come against him and with a sharp stick that's used to herd cattle God says, take them out. <laughs> well, there's a method to the madness. Samson with a jawbone and a thousand men. Th that's madness. But there's a method to the madness. So the question becomes, why? why? Well, hold on just a second. You know, we got a jawbone. We got everybody say a sword. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, if I got to go against somebody, at least give me something other than a pointed stick or a jawbone in my hand. So a man by the name of Eleazar is standing to face off the armies of the Philistines and all of his troop, all the Israelites that are with him, all the soldiers that are in his troop cut and run. They leave. You would think, well, the wise thing to do is go with them. But something got a hold of that man. And that man stands his ground. And an army of Philistines come against him. 
and he has a sword in his hand. And with one sword in his hand, he begins to take out an entire army. And the Bible said that when the battle was over, that his hand clave to his sword. In other words, you had to pry his fingers off of that sword because he'd been hanging on to it so tight. Hear me. There are things that we all cling to tightly. You need to make up your mind what you're going to hold on to. Are you going to hold on to the Word of God? Are you going to cling to His sword? Or are you going to hold on to your own ideas? Or are you going to hold on to your friends? Because even your friends can forsake you. And then after this is over, it, it, it says that so the Lord brought about a great victory. Why does God do it? Why does God put us in situations that seemingly are impossible? 1 Corinthians 12 and 20, or 1 and 25 tells us, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, Amen. and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Luke 1 and 37 says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Amen. It tells you right after that, right after Eliezer does that, fights that, and, and, and the rest of the army only came back to collect the spoil. And it says that the Lord brought a great victory. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say Eliezer brought a great victory. It doesn't say that the Israelites won the battle. Do you remember a man by the name of Gideon that's asked to go against the Midianites and there are, there are multiple tens of thousands of them. And he has, he has 32,000 men to go against. He's still outnumbered with 32,000 men. He's still drastically outnumbered. But when God saw the 32,000 men, he told them that's too many. And this is what he said. And so so he, he separates them. And he said, tell everybody that's afraid to go home. And he lost 22,000 men. <laughs> So now he's down, he's got 10,000 men, and he said, that's still too many. You're thinking, God, give me a break here, man. I mean, there's over 100,000 of these guys, and 10,000 is too many. He said, go down to the water, and you know what happens. He ends up separating them until they only have 300 men. Why does he do it? He tells you why. He said, because if I let you go out with this force, then you're going to come back and you're going to say, we won the victory. And when this battle's over, I want it known not only by you, but by the enemy that God won that battle for us. He wants our focus to be on him. God does not want you to think you can do it without him. But he always wants you to know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Would you say that with me? I can do all things through Christ 
that strengthens me. Do you know when Paul wrote that, what he was talking about? He wasn't talking about the highlights of his life. He was talking about the times of his life when it looked like the bracket wasn't fair. He was talking about the times of his life when, when he was lacking. He was talking about the times of his life when his situation didn't seem like it was a good situation. And this is what he writes to us. He comes away saying, but I can do all things through Christ. There's no mountain that's too high. There's no valley that's too wide. There's no river that's too deep that God won't see me through if I'll focus on him. If I give it to him, everybody say a method. God wants our attention to be on him. He wants our focus to be on him. So have you ever found yourself in a situation that you didn't like, a bracket that you didn't like? You ever find yourself matched up in, in, in a, a circumstance or against an opponent and you thought there's no way I can win? Then follow the instructions of the 34th Psalm that we read. David wrote this when he was facing his enemy. And listen to, I read to you verses 1 through 3. Now I want you to listen to the fourth verse that David wrote. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Amen. I sought the Lord. Isn't it amazing that when we find ourselves in a troublesome situation that we, we usually are telling everybody but God? That, that we'll get on the phone and we'll call people, you're not going to believe what they did to me. You're not going to believe what's happening right now. I can't believe it. And, and it, you know, it, it, hey, let me tell you about so-and-so. I'm just calling you so you know how to pray. <laughs> Sounds like maybe you need to learn how to pray. <laughs> We're seeking everyone except God. And David understood something about trusting God. What do you do when you're out in the middle of a field and your situation turns sour? What do you do when you're all alone and a bear shows up in the middle of the flock? Come on, Mr. Bear. What do you do when you're all alone and a lion roars against you? That boy was no match for that bear and the lion, and he knew it. And that's what he's communicating to King Saul when he's saying, don't be afraid of that giant because I've been in those situations before that looked like they were impossible. A bear came out and a lion came out. But what did he say? The same God that delivered the bear and the lion to my hand is going to deliver that giant. My focus is not on my ability. My focus is on the power and the strength of God. I know I can't, but I know he can. And if God be for me, then who my friend can be against me? I can do all things. Everybody looks at you, and all they see is Clark Kent. Run up here just a second. Let me borrow your glasses. No, if anybody's going to play Superman, it's going to be me. <laughs> All they see 
good night. We're going to pray for your eyes after this is over. All they see is Clark Kent. Hi, Lois. Want to go out? Are you out of your mind? You know what I'm talking about? All they see. But he knew that there was something inside of him that was greater than what could be seen on the outside of him. He knew that if he ripped his shirt apart, I'm not going to, (laughs) that everybody would be exposed to a big S meant saved by the blood of the lamb. (laughs) Can I tell you, I serve, thank you, I serve the original Superman. Remember that Henson song years ago? He didn't come from another planet, but he rules this entire universe. He just, made, he just left his throne in heaven and descended down to earth. Now they plotted once to kill him. They put nails in his feet as his hands, but he conquered sin and he rose again. He's the original Superman. Aren't you glad to know that when it seems that everything's against you, God is still for you. If we learn to seek the Lord, well, what kind of response does that have when you seek God? Do you ever play hide and seek with your kids? Nobody? Two people. Well, hold your hand up. You don't have to be ashamed. That camera's not even on you, folks. They can't even see your hands. You ever, ever play hide and seek? Hold your hand up if you ever played hide and seek with your kids. How many of you ever played hide and seek with your wife? Yeah. Yeah, we, okay, I guess we didn't. I thought we were. I remember one time we were playing hide and seek with the kids and we were trying to find Debbie and we were, they were walking around and they were looking, you know, we'd shut all the lights out in the house and they were running around. They were looking and we were looking every place and honest to goodness, man, I couldn't find her. And I thought, where in the world is she at? And we kept looking and looking and looking. And all of a sudden, I can't remember, did we ever spot you or did you finally? We never did spot her. And all of a sudden we said, okay, okay, show yourself. She was standing on top of the washing machine. Man, right, I mean, right. Huh? Oh, on top of the cabinets. I guess the washing machine was another time she got higher. (laughs) Just right out in the open. But you know why we didn't see her? Because we weren't looking up. The scripture says, I'm going to look to the hills from whence cometh my help. You're never going to find strength looking down. You're never going to find your breakthrough walking through the valley of the shadow of death. David said, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because he'd already looked to the mountain. Look up. When you seek God, God seeks you. Listen to what it says in 2 Chronicles 16 and 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. How come God hadn't showed himself to me? To show himself strong to those whose heart 
is loyal to him. I can tell you right now, if Debbie caught me kissing someone else, yeah, be not oh my goodness, be oh his goodness. She's going to knock me out. I mean, she's, you know, she would, she, I know she looks, come up here a minute, honey. She looked mild and, 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 and just, you know, yeah. <laughs> I want to tell you that, that girl during World War II that was in that poster ain't got nothing on her. <laughs> but if she, if she saw some woman making a play for me, trying to put her lips on mine, Debbie would put her fist on her lips <laughs> or on mine. I don't know what I'll do. Uh, well, that's, she yeah. ain't never going to find out. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to, ne- not like that. I mean, you never, it, it ain't never going to happen. <laughs> it ain't never going to happen, okay? Here, here's what I'm getting at. Is God wants us loyal to him. God doesn't, well, you know, when I, I shared when I was in Trinidad, I was talking to an individual and he said, I pray to Jesus, but his, his name was Prim. And I said, Prim, how many other gods do you pray to? Because he had a whole litany of gods he was praying to. And I said, Jesus isn't interested in being one of many. He's the only one. He's the only one. You can't get to heaven except through him. He said, no man can come to the Father except they come through me. He is the door. Everybody, he is the door. He's the way. He is the life and resurrection. So quit trying to go around him and let's just come to him. Because when we seek the Lord, David said, I sought the Lord. And when you seek him, he looks for those to show himself strong to that have a loyal heart. Everybody say loyal. Paul tells us this. He says, I'm not ashamed for I know in whom I've believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Let me ask you a question. You ever been made fun of because you chose to believe in God? People ever look at you and try and make it seem like, well, you're, you're weak-minded or, or you just don't know what you're talking about. And, you, you know, and, and, and you just, you know, the guys used to, the, I, I had a whole group of guys that I'd work with and man, they would try and eat me for lunch. We'd go out of town and this was, I, I was newly married and, but, but I wasn't, I, I, I was on, I was excited about God. <laughs> We'd go out of town. I had to live with these guys a week at a time, man. They were drinking. They were, I mean, these guys just, I, I'm not talking about a casual drink. I'm talking about these guys were getting dog dead drunk. And they, and I'll never forget, they, they, would, they would team up. And, and, and one night they had, a, they had a girl on the way to where we're staying. And I'm thinking, I'm in the back room praying. God, what am I going to do? Man, here I am with these guys. There's like 15 of us guys that are going to bring a girl in to where we're at. And I'm praying, God, you've got to help me out, man. It's dead of winter. If she shows up, I've got to leave. And I'm, I'm like 100 miles from home. I don't know what I'm going to do. Do you know, man, I'm in the back room. They're all waiting in the living room going, yeah, she's getting ready. Woo, we gonna have. I'm in the back room in her seat. God, you've got to help me. Well, my prayers must have been a little bit stronger than their anticipation. She never came. The next morning when we went to the job site and the guy that was bringing her showed up on the job site and they said, where were you at last night? 
He said, man, he said, I was on the way to your house. And he said, for, he said, all of a sudden, he said, I don't know what happened. He said, my car just started spinning out of control. He said, I wound up in a ditch and sat there for two and a half hours waiting for somebody to come and get me. And I scared to death my wife was going to see me. I overheard that. And I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Paul said, I'm not ashamed whom I have believed because I'm persuaded he's able to keep that that I've committed to him. He's able to, those guys would try and eat my lunch when they'd all get together. But God set up, I worked for that place about, I guess, four or five months maybe. And, I, and God would set up these encounters where I'd get these guys one-on-one -on -one, and I'd watch tears fill their eyes. I'd see these guys get choked up. I'd see them. And, and, and this is, I'm not saying, I hope you don't take this the wrong way because I'm not saying this for self-service, but I, I want you to understand that when you love him, other people, other people are going to know that. And when I got ready to leave, I got a better job and I was quitting. I was walking away and uh, some of the guys came to me and they said, Rick, we just want you to know we've had a lot of folks that have come here and worked and said that they were Christians, but we want you to know you're the real deal. And when they told me that, man, my heart was just humbled because I thought, God, what did Paul say? He said, follow me as I follow Christ. What did John the Baptist say? I must decrease so he can increase. We need less of us and more of him. God help me to understand that when you when I'm going through something it's not because you don't love me or you don't like me or you're trying to, to, to get rid of me. It's because you're going to show yourself strong on my behalf through my weakness you show yourself strong. Paul's struggling. And this is the guy that wrote two-thirds in the New Testament, man. This is the guy that knows the law front and back. This is the religious elite. Guy that had an encounter on the road to Damascus and, and everybody saw him. And, 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 and he's got something bothering him. He, it keeps tormenting him. And he can't get rid of it. He goes to God three different times. This is what he said. He said that I was given a messenger from Satan to buffet me. Can I put it in plain English? So I wouldn't get lifted up in pride. So I wouldn't get stuck on myself. And I sought God three times saying, please take this from me. And what did he say? The Lord spoke to him and said, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. What's he saying? He's saying, Paul, it's in your having to come to me. It's in, it's in the fact that you can't deal with this on your own. It's not that, it, 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 it's not that, this, it's not that this messenger got victory over Paul. It's just that it kept Paul on his knees. 
Paul couldn't deal with it in his own strength. And so he's constantly coming to Christ and saying, I've got to have you. I, I, I need you. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. I don't want you to feel like you can do it on your own. I don't want you to feel like you can navigate life by yourself. I don't want you to ever forget who it is that brought you the victory and lifts you up and gives you strength. I, I want your focus to be on me because that's the method to this madness you're in. So you understand that I'm the one that brings the victory. Would you stand with me? Whatever you or your family are facing today, you don't have to face it alone. And if you're not facing something today, just keep living. You will. Amen. And the Lord brought a great victory. Eliezer had that sword in his hand, but what's one sword against hundreds? Well, if the Lord's the one that's directing it, and that's why they had to pry his hand off of it. This isn't just a book, folks. It's so much more than that. And can I tell you from all sincerity of heart that in the beginning of my Christian walk, Amen. this is what kept me and strengthened me and gave me hope. Amen. Times that I read it and I would hold it, and I know it may sound silly to you, but I'd hold it and I'd say, God, I want to absorb this. Please, God. I always prayed, even when I was, evangel uh, uh, when I was evangelizing, I prayed, I said, God, I want you to use me Amen. in your gifts. But more important to me than all the gifts, God, let this word come alive in me so I can make it come alive to others. There were times that I put it in my mouth and I would, nobody was watching when I was doing this. I put it in my mouth and I'd clamp my teeth on it. And I thought about where the prophet ate the scroll. And I said, God, I, I want to consume it because I want it to consume me. Not the letter of it, because the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Amen. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You can't separate this from Him. You can't pull out one and hold to the other. They're one together. And this, my friend, is the sword that we need to cling to. You know what I've discovered after more than 40 years of walking with him? 
I needed as much today as I did then. I've, well, haven't you ever read the thing? I mean, man, the live you've been going. How, how many times do you read this book? <laughs> Every day is a good start. Because every day, it speaks something new to me. It revives me and it refreshes me and it reignites the fire in me. God wants to give you that great victory. Remember David's words, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. We hope you've been touched by today's message. I wanted to take a moment and just remind you how very much God loves you. The Apostle Peter tells us that it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In the book of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, God speaks through the prophet and tells us that I know what my plans are for you, that they're plans for good and not for destruction, to give you a future and a hope. That's what God wants for your life. He has a plan and a purpose designed specifically for you. And you can walk into that plan and purpose by just asking him in your heart today. I wonder if you'd take a moment right now and just stop wherever you're at and pray this prayer with me. God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. Lord, I believe that Jesus was crucified on my behalf that you raised him from the dead so that I could have life. And right now, I accept you as my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, we believe that angels are rejoicing in heaven because you've come home. Now the important thing is for you to find a good Bible-believing church and become a part of that as you continue your journey with Jesus. We want to invite you to come and be with us any chance you get. Until then, remember, Jesus loves you, and we do too.